when it comes to fictional places I love to live in. Very few top the zany beauty that was brought to life in this week's topic. This is the story of Pee Wee and Pee Wee's Playhouse. This is Toys R Us. All of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is the story of a girl. Wrong podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. Welcome on back to the Pee-Wee's Playhouse of History podcast. The Toys R Us podcast. That's right. Each week we take you on a journey into the past to go over the history of things that don't suck ass. <laughs> my name is Richard Hunt, and with me as always is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hey, everybody. Brian. Yeah. This week, we're getting wacky <laughs> with Pee-Wee's Playhouse. Pee-Wee's Playhouse. Which is not a double entendre. No. For Paul Rubens. No. Although he did get get quite wacky. Yes. That being said, are you ready to go cuckoo? You bet. Let's go. We start our story on August 27th, 1952, in Peekskill, New York. Ooh. Where we meet up with Judy and Milton Rubenfield. These two brought into the world a bouncing baby boy. Hey, Paulie. Paul Rubenfield. No middle name. No middle name, huh? No middle name. Mm. If he has one, it's not listed anywhere. Interesting. A dead-ass search for about half an hour. <laughs> Nothing. It's yep. literally just all Paul Rubenfield. Well, that happens to some people. It does. Um, Milton Rubenfield was already a legend in his own right, having been one of the founding pilots of the Israeli Air Force in 1948 during the Arab-Israeli War, using skills that he had obtained during World War II. Not long after Paul Rubenfield was born, the family packed up and moved to Sarasota, Florida, which is just a big culture shock from New York. Yeah, big time. Like, Holy shit. literally a world away. Yeah. That's a fucking full, like, 24-hour drive, honestly. Yeah. Um, when they moved there, his parents and his parents, Judy and Milton, opened up a lamp store. Go all that way. To open a lamp store. Lamp store. I mean, follow your dreams, kids, you know? Yeah, I mean, I get that, but... It's um, wild. It's pretty fucking wild. But then also, like, think about who Paul Rubens ends up being. Yeah. <laughs> It's like makes a lot of fucking sense. Yeah, it does. Um, he spent a significant amount of his childhood, though, in one one onta, one onta. Yeah, I don't know Florida names. No, it's in New York. Before they moved, one onta, New York. Um, he wrote fan mail only once as a child, when he was five or six. Oh yeah, to to Walt Disney. Oh. But he never heard back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As a child, he frequented the Ringling Brothers and Barham Bailey Circuses, whose winter headquarters was in Sarasota. The circus atmosphere sparked Ruben's interest in entertainment and influenced his later work. He also loved to watch reruns of I Love Lucy, which made him want to make people laugh. 
At age five, he asked his father to build him a stage where he and his siblings would put on plays. Oh. I don't know why, but for some odd reason, I always pictured Paul Rubens being an only child. No, he's got two siblings. Oh, good for him. Mm-hmm. And a bonus fact that I didn't put in the fact in the box, because, uh, I don't know, but uh, when he is in drag in Peter's Big Adventure, yeah. he's, like, imitating his sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, imitation is the most sincere form, form of flattery, flattery. right? Yeah. Um, as an inspiring actor from a young age, he dreamed of having a career like Ron Howard. Oh. And as Rubens imagined thousands of miles from Hollywood... Ron Howard was his professional nemesis. Oh. <laughs> With a laugh, Ruben admitted, I wish it was funny, but it was so serious to me back then. Dang. You just see him fucking sitting there, rocking back and forth, like fucking full metal jacket. Yeah. <laughs> just that scene where he's on the toilet, just yeah. fucking wide-eyed and fucking rolling back and forth. <laughs> That's just young fucking Paul Rubens. <laughs> fucking, uh, was it, uh, Shit. Fucking Steve Buscemi putting on lipstick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do what? Doobie doobie what? That's like, anytime I fucking hear telephone line by Electric Light Orchestra, that's yeah. all I think about is that fucking scene. Uh, his first acting role arrived in elementary school during a production of the Tony-nominated play A Thousand Clowns, which sounds like A Thousand Clowns, Too Many. Yes. Because hashtag fuck clowns. Fuck clowns. Not a big fan. No. Although, if you fuck clowns, did the condoms become balloon animals? Yeah. That's it, probably oh. so. Uh, he attended Sarasota High School, where he was named president of the Nash- National Thespian Society. Hmm. And he was accepted into the Northwestern University's summer program for gifted high school students. That's cool. Where he joined the local Asolo theater and players of Sarasota Theater, and appeared in several plays. After stints at Boston University and California Institute of Arts, he joined the L.A.-based Groundlings, Ah. which is L.A.'s second city, city. Um, where his duties included painting the backstage area with a green textured liqueur, an improbable prize he won during many during one of many appearances on The Gong Show as a part of a boy-girl act he had developed with Charlotte McGinnis called The Hilarious Betty and Eddie. <laughs> We're really suave and debonair We'll put our coats across a puddle so you can cross it We'll cut our hair for you to look like they're above it When you try one of us you have to try the other Watch the toes! We'll give you the top billing It was during this time that he developed the character of Pee-wee, an innocent man-boy who plays tricks on his friends. He eventually started appearing in other movies like Prey TV in 1980, Blues Brothers in 1980, Dream On 1981, and Meatballs Part 2 in 1984. 
The character of Pee Wee Herman originated during a 1978 improvisation exercise with the Groundlings, where Ruby came up with the idea of a man who wanted to be a comic, but was so inept at telling jokes that it was obvious to the audience that he would never make it. Fellow Groundling Phil Hartman would afterwards afterwards help Rubens develop the character, while another Groundling, John Paragon, would help write the show. John Paragon ended up being Jombie. Jombie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, despite having been compared to other fa- uh, famous characters such as Hergen's Tintin and Collodi's Pinocchio, Rubens said that there is no specific source for Pee-wee, but rather a collection of ideas. Yeah, I can see that. Pee-wee's voice originated in 1970 when Rubens appeared in a production of Life with Father, where he was cast as, the, as one of the most obnoxious characters in the play, for which Rubens adopted a cartoon-like way of speaking that would become Pee-wee's voice. Pee-wee's name resulted from a one-inch Pee-wee brand harmonica Rubens had as a child. Herman was the surname of an energetic boy Rubens knew from his youth. <laughs> the first small gray suit Pee-wee ever wore had been handmade for director and founder of the Groundlings, Gary Austin, who passed it on to Rubens, while someone handed him the little kid bow tie before a show. Nice. It's just like, oh yeah, it's finally coming together. It's all coming together. Uh, Rubens auditioned for Saturday Night Live for the 1980-1981 season, but Gilbert Gottfried, who was a close friend of the show's producer and had the same acting style as Rubens, got the job. Uh, I know. (laughs) Jaffa! In 1991, while presenting at the Emmy Awards, Gottfried ironically got in trouble for joking about Rubens' uh, indecent exposure arrest. Oh, yeah. Can't believe it. They're going to take up my time. Hi, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, Jerry Seinfeld stand-in. Why do people watch TV? Who are these people? I want to get something off my chest. You know, I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I I sleep a lot better since Pee Wee Herman's been arrested. (laughs) Masturbation's a crime. I should be on death row. Masturbation's against the law I should have been sent to the electric chair years ago To think that by age 14 I was already Al Capone Right now I'm like Superman You could put charcoal in my hands And I could crush it into a diamond It's like if the police tried to arrest me, it would be, quick, stay away from his right hand. (laughs) Your puny weapons can't hurt me. Rubens was so angry and bitter that he decided he would borrow money and start his own show in Los Angeles using the character that he had been developing during the last few years, last few years, Pee Wee Herman. With the help of other groundlings like John Paragon, Phil Hartman, and Lynn Marie Stewart, Pee Wee acquired a small group of followers, and Rubens took the show to the Roxy Theater, where the Pee Wee Herman show ran for five sellout months, That's doing hard. midnight shows for adults and weekly matinees for children, which is just so fucking smart. I remember my dad uh, recorded the mm-hmm. his first HBO special back in like 81, 82. 
And it was so fucking... Like, that was one of my earliest memories is watching that. Yeah, it was it was very ahead of its time. Yeah, big time. Like, you think about, like, Kids in the Hall or, like, mm-hmm. Tim and Eric. Yeah. Shit like that. Wouldn't exist without Pee Wee. No. At all. At all. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Eventually, Pee Wee moved into the mainstream. When HBO aired the Pee Wee Herman Show in 1981 as part of their series On Location. Rubens also appeared as Pee-wee in the 1980 film Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. Although it was Rubens in the role of Pee-wee, the end, credit, uh, the end credits of the movie billed him as Hamburger Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Hamburger Dude. Rubens' act had mainly positive reactions and quickly acquired a group of fans, despite being described as bizarre, and Rubens being described as the weirdest comedian around. Pee-wee was both corny and hip, Retrograde and avant-garde. If you think about it, like, Pee-wee is, like, the flip side to John Waters' coin. I get that. Right? Yeah. They're both cut from the same type of cloth. Yeah, you're like, it's got that, set, that same kind of kitsch feel. Yeah. But... Like, Pee-wee's like Playhouse... Pee-wee in a different direction. The, just the set design for Pee-wee's Playhouse. Very much... I mean, like, look at the scene in Crybaby, where mm-hmm. Crybaby gets his motorcycle. Yeah. And you have that thing where the wall just turns around, <laughs> and there's a motorcycle behind it. Yeah. Tell me that's not something that would have been in Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, you know, like, they both have that eye for, like, weird, quirky shit that yeah. wasn't really the norm. Yeah. But they forced it to be the norm, you know? Um, the success of the Pee-wee Herman show prompted Warner Brothers to hire Rubens to write a script for a full-length Pee-wee Herman film. Ruben's original idea was to do a remake of Pollyanna, which he claims is his favorite film. Halfway through writing the script... As Pee-wee or as Yes, as (laughs) Pee-wee. Halfway through writing the script, Ruben's noticed everyone at Warner Brothers had a bike with them, which inspired him to start a new script with Phil Hartman. When Ruben's and the producers... I know, man. That's just a fucking... (sighs) Oof. Big time. Press F for respect. Yeah. You know, like... Shit. Sucks. God damn it. Sucks. Most of, like, that era SNL and, like, Second City crew yeah. is fucking dead. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. Fucking Chris Farley. Yeah? I don't necessarily know if I would... Well, Second City, I think John Candy was part of Second uh-huh, City. Uh-huh, John Candy. Yeah. John Belushi. John Belushi. Now, there's there is this thing, okay, and I love talking about it because it's just fucking weird, okay. The fucking caveman flick. Yes. Yeah. There's a there there was a movie or there was a book called The Incomparable Tuck. Yeah. And it was gonna be it was scripted out and it was gonna be made into a movie, starring John Belushi. Yep. He died. Yep. It went to Sam Kinison. Yep. He died. It went to John Candy. Dead. He died. Next. It went to Chris Farley, and it was also going to have Phil Hartman in it. Yeah. Both. Both dead. Dead. Then they just decided, you know what? This is killing all our talent. Maybe not make this movie. Yeah. It's fucking... It's weird. Yeah. Also in there, uh, one of the writers that was 
hired to rewrite the script mm-hmm. was an SNL writer who died. Jesus. So it's literally just like that thing has to be locked up in like a glass box like Annabelle is. Yeah. <laughs> Positively do, do not, not touch. Open. Yeah, it's like, okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna fucking do that. Yeah. Um one hundred percent not gonna open that up. No. When Rubens and the producers of Peewee's Big Adventure saw Tim Burton's work on Vincent and Frankenweenie, they chose Burton to be the film's director. Which this makes Peewee pivotal in anything Tim Burton did from that point on. Yeah, that's true. Because Because without Peewee, he wouldn't have had that clout. Right. He he got Peewee at his height. Yeah. And it showed the world like, wow. Who's this like, fucking Tim Burton kid, you this know? This guy's weird, and I like it. Um, the film tells the story of Pee Wee Herman embarking on a nationwide search for his stolen bicycle. In the basement of the Alamo. Oh, yes. <laughs> the movie went on to gross $40 million domestically, recoup- recouping almost six times its $7 million budget. That's a low budget. <laughs> At the time of release in 1985... The film received mixed reviews, but Pee-wee's Big Adventure climbed into or developed into a cult film. Oh, absolutely! They were able to do so well on the budget because yeah. at this point, and I'm sure it's changed since then, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was only the second comedy movie to be shot directly on the Warner Brothers studio. Oh, really? The first one was Blazing Saddles. Ah, uh, go figure. <laughs> so it's like. You figure if you use what you have, yeah. you're saving a lot of cash. Oh, big time. Uh, after seeing the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the CBS network reports, report, approached Rubens with an ill-received cartoon series proposal. In 1986, they agreed to sign Rubens to act, produce, and direct his live-action children's program, Pee-wee's Playhouse, with a budget of $325,000 per episode. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same price as a primetime sitcom. <laughs> which is just blows your fucking mind. That blows my fucking mind. Uh, and no creative interference from CBS. Although CBS did request a few minor changes throughout the years. After casting actors like Lawrence Fishburne, <laughs> which. Cowboy Curtis. Cowboy motherfucking Curtis. That's right. Cowboy Curtis? Well, that there's a hand car, Pee-wee. Except the tracks is missing. Mm, I can fix that. <laughs> Here we go, Pee-wee. <laughs> Here we go. Whoa, straight. <laughs> hey, there's a buzzer. <laughs> hey, tunnel ahead, Pee-wee. And Phil Hartman. Spotting your peewee, Captain Carl always remembers to wash his hands. Oh, a sailor travels to many lands. Any place he pleases, 
and he always remembers to wash his hands so he don't get no diseases. Production began in New York City. The opening credits of the show were sung by Cindy Lauper. I did know that. Yeah. yeah. But she used Ellen Shaw. But she's not credited as it. Oh, okay. And it's kind of like she ne- she it took she didn't really admit it until she wrote her biography. Really? Yeah. Huh. And I I never blamed this from that, but it was meant to be a Betty Boop impersonation. Oh. And, and now yeah, once you once you now. hear it, you're yeah. like, oh fuck, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Peter's Playhouse was designed as an educational yet entertaining and artistic show. For children, and despite being greatly influenced by the 1950s shows Ruben watched as a child, like The Rocky Bullwinkle Show, The Mickey Mouse Club, and Captain Kangaroo and Howdy Doody, it quickly acquired a dual audience of kids and grown-ups. Oh yeah, my dad liked it as much as I did. Because it's like, really, it's like... Yeah. I mean, it had a lot of jokes for the yeah, adults, there, you know? Yeah, there's not... Shit that just... Yeah, oh over yeah. Kids' heads. Um... The creative design of the show was concocted by a troupe of artists including Wayne White, Gary Panter, Craig Bartlett, Richard Gozaki, Gregory Harrison, Rick Heitzman, Phil Trumbo. And the first day of production, right as Panter began reading the scripts to find out where everything would be situated, set workers hurriedly asked him, where's the plans? All the carpenters are standing here ready to build everything. <laughs> Panter responded, you just to give us 15 minutes to design this thing. When asked about the styles that went into the set, he said, this is like the hippie dream. It was a show made by artists. We put art history all over the show. It's really like, I think Mike Kelly said, and it's right, that it's kind of like the Gucci style. It's like those LA types of coffee shops and stuff, but kind of psychedelic, over the top. Yeah, I get that. Several artistic filmmaking techniques were featured on the program, including chroma key, stop motion animation, and play animation. Rubens always tried to make PB a positive role model uh, and created a consciously moral show. One that would teach children the ethics of... I know I wrote this, but fucking... (laughs) (laughs) Reciprocity? Yes, reciprocity. It's just one of those words that, like, I could fucking read that in my head. Yeah. But once you try to say it, it kind of gets yes. tripped up on the tongue by right by the teeth. Yes, exactly. Uh, Rubens believed that the children liked Pee-wee's Playhouse because it was fast-paced, colorful, and never talked down to them. While parents liked the Playhouse because it reminded them of the past. Yeah. In 1986, Rubens, billed as Paul Mall, was the voice of the ship's computer in Flight of the Navigator. That's right. In 1987, he provided the voice of Rex, the main robot in George Lucas's produced Disneyland attraction, Star Star Tours, Tours. Mm. and reprised the role of P.B. Herman in cameo appearances in the film Back to the Beach and TV show Sesame Street, the latter of which made a cameo in Playhouse. Baller. Right after the success of P.B.'s Big Adventure, Rubens began working with Paramount Pictures on a sequel entitled Big Top P.B., which... Unpopular opinion, I think is actually the better film. Do you think so? Yeah. Hmm. I have a very soft spot for Big Top PB. I get that, but I actually kind of disagree. I like the pacing of uh, Big Adventure a lot better. Hence, 
unpopular opinion. I know. And it's just, it's strange. It's like we've almost never disagreed on something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. I think it's one of those things like Doctor Who, right? Uh, yeah. I saw I saw Bootai PB before Big Adventure. Yeah. So to me, that's like that's your right. PB. Like Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Was my doctor, doctor. You know, like yeah. both of which are severely underrated. I agree. Um, I do wish Eccleston had had gone a, a bit more. But I mean, you can't blame him because. Moffat is an asshole. Yeah, and, like, it's he true. drives everybody so away. So is Davies, but yeah, um, but it was like Davies was at least the lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah. you know. But Moffat, man, dude, Oof. come off it, Moffat. Come off it, make bumper stickers. <laughs> come off it, Moffat. I don't know. I think uh, I think the Who fandom is gonna take up pitchforks and torches. Go after Chibnall next. Well. I'm, I haven't been keeping up on it, but I heard all the shit that went down in this last episode, and it's it's got a lot of fucking fans up in arms. Yeah. They seem to have lost... They were in, like, a very good spot for a long time, yeah. and they just kind of fucking flubbed it. They really did. They fumbled the ball hard. Which, you know... I mean, look at it. That's, that's the fucking Simpsons all over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um... The film was not as successful as its predecessor, receiving mild reviews and just and doing just over one third as well in the box office, earning only fifteen million dollars. Hmm. Uh, Rubens attended nineteen ninety or nineteen eighty eight Academy Awards with big top PB co star Valeria Golino. Oh God, she's gorgeous. At least she was. I don't know what she looks like these days. Uh, pretty much the same, just yeah? older. Yeah. Um, which stirred rumors that the two were dating. The following year, Rubens exchanged vows with Doris Duke's adopted daughter, Chandy Hefner, at a mock wedding over which Imelda Marcos presided in Shangri-La, <laughs> Doris Duke's mansion in Honolulu, Hawaii. Peavy's Play- Playhouse aired from September 13, 1986 until November 10, 1990. Rubens had originally to do, uh, agreed to do two more seasons after the third, Ooh. and when CBS... CBS asked Ruben about the possibility of a sixth season. He declined, wanting to take a sabbatical, which is understandable. Yeah, I mean, you want to kind of keep it fresh, you know? That's why, like, Bozos yeah. pulled the Dread Pirate Roberts <laughs> and swapped out, you yeah. know? Like, you can only do that fucking voice for so long before you just fucking lose your mind. That's true. Um... Rubens had been suffering from a burnout from playing Pee-wee full-time and had been warning that Pee-wee was temporary and that he had other ideas he would like to work on. The parties agreed to end the show after five seasons, which included 45 episodes and a Christmas special, which I still watch every fucking year. Um, Playhouse garnered 15 Emmy Awards, all of them in the Creative Arts Emmy Award category. <laughs> baller as fuck. It's fucking nuts, man. Especially for a fucking kid's show, you yeah. know? Uh, Rubens had not always thought of his character as one for children, but sometime during the mid-80s, he started to form Pee-wee into the best role model he possibly could, making of his show a morally positive show that cared about issues like racial diversity. He was also careful of what should, not, should and should not be associated with Pee-wee. Being a heavy smoker, he went to great lengths never to be photographed with a cigarette in his mouth, even refusing to endorse candy bars and other kinds of junk food. 
all while trying to release his own sugar-free cereal, Ralston Purina Peewee Chow. <laughs> a project that died after a blind taste test. <laughs> With his positive attitude and quirkiness, Peewee became an instant cult figure, earning a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame by 1989. Which... That's, that's fucking, fucking impressive. Man. Yeah. You figure he'd fully developed the character by 1978. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, 12 years? Yeah. I mean, that's, fucking, that's huge, man. There's people that are just getting them now yeah. and have been doing their shit for decades. Decades. You know? Yeah. And he successfully built PB as a franchise with toys, clothes, and other items generating more than $25 million at its peak in 1988. Rubens also published a book as Pee-wee in 1989 called Travels with Pee-wee. CBS ran reruns of Playhouse until July 1991 when Rubens was arrested, pulling from their schedule the last two remaining reruns. Fox Family Channel briefly aired reruns of the Playhouse in 1998, and in early 2006, Cartoon Network began running a teaser promo during its Adult Swim lineup. A later press release and many other promos confirmed that the show's 45 original episodes would nightly air from Monday to Thursday, starting on that date. Playhouse attracted 1.5 million viewers nightly. That's a lot of fucking viewers, man. Fuck, man. In 2007, TV Guide named Playhouse one of the top ten cult TV classics of all time. Rightfully so. Absolutely. Um, I would like to think that, like, Eureka's Castle would also be another one, man. Because I fucking loved you. Nobody fucking remembers yeah. Eureka's Castle. I remember Eureka's Castle. It was another one of those things that were like, holy fuck, this is awesome. You know, this is <laughs> a very, very unique concept. Yeah. You remember the fucking giant wind- picking up the castle and winding it as a music box? Yeah. <sighs> Chef's kiss. Dude. Like, on the on the obverse of that, the, the fucking, the old Nickelodeon show, Pinwheel. That, that show used yeah. to scare the fuck out of me, dude. Yeah. I'm like, nope. Yeah. Nope. Heard that theme song. I'm like, I'm on. Mm, yeah, you're fucking back. Me with Tales from the Crypt theme song. You're like, nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Not today, Satan. Not today. In November 2004, all 45 episodes of PB's Playhouse, plus six episodes that had never been released, were released on DVD split between two box set collections. On July 3rd, 2013, Shout Factory announced that they had acquired the rights to the entire series from Rubens. Because of course they did. You know. They have everything. They, have, they really do have everything. They're the fucking Hasbro of fucking... Of old TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which they released the entire series on Blu-ray on October 21st, 2014. Nice. Which goes to show you, like, what the fuck is next? Yeah. Like, 4K, Ultra, whatever. Yeah. But that's not even widely... It's still Blu-ray. Yeah. That's fucking six years ago at this yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Look at, look at how long DVD lasted, though. That's true. That's true. And they're still putting out DVDs. They're packing DVDs in with Blu-rays yeah. and shit. So. Yeah. It's weird, man. It's like getting a VHS tape with your... your your DVDs yeah. back in the day. Well, that new uh, Nicolas Cage movie, Color Out of Space or whatever, yeah. they released a limited edition VHS. Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very Nick Cage thing to do. That is such a Nick Cage thing you know? to do. Um, Wee's small Glenn plaid suits res- uh, seemed ridiculous in the 1980s, but since the late 1990s have made him a style icon. Mm. With fashion houses 
and designers such as Christopher Bailey, Ennio Capasa, Prada, Victor and Rolf, and Tom Brown creating tightly cut suits with high armholes and short trousers <laughs> that have been compared to Pee-wee's. Dang. Uh, in 2007, Nike released a collection of the Nike SB sneakers called Fallen Heroes. This collection was loosely inspired by Millie Vanilli, MC Hammer, Vanilla Ice, and Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee sneakers used gray and white color scheme with red detail, with an illustration of the ins- on the insole of a man in a suit sitting alone in a theater with his hand in his lap. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, damn, Nike, you don't have to go out that hard against this man. What the fuck? Uh, Rubens has mentioned that he has plans for a museum which would contain many of the Playhouse sets and props he still owns. That's awesome. Which I would fucking go with that. Hell yeah. Uh, during the 90s, he kept a low, prof- a low profile, dedicating himself to writing and collecting a variety of things. Everything from fake food to lamps. Although he did some dubbing and took small parts in films such as 1992's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Which... Dude, so uh, good. <laughs> Catches are looking. <laughs> so goddamn good, dude. Yeah. Dog, too. I guess nobody sees in you. You don't really think you can stand up to him, do you? Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? You're pathetic. You're not even fit to die for him. We're immortal, Buffy. You can do anything. Oh, yeah? And Tim Burton's Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. As the Penguin's father. Yeah. And in 1996's Matilda. And Dunstan checks in. In 1993, he voiced uh, another character in one of Tim Burton's productions. Um, Locke in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Who he would also reprise the role in the fucking very weird... Nightmare Before Christmas game. Yeah? It was a fucking weird game, man. I never played it. It didn't know what it wanted to be. It had it had identity issues. <laughs> which of- which is the first thing that would kill a video game. Yeah. Like you gotta have a clear vision of what you're doing. Right. Um Rubens dated actress Debbie Mazer in nineteen ninety three after he st- after he started attending film premieres with her. 
and he has since credited her as ending his depression from his arrest. Oh, good for him. Right? Uh, during the mid-90s, he played a recurring role on the TV series Murphy Brown. The role earned him positive reviews and his first and only non-PBE Emmy nomination. Nice. For Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series. He appeared six times on the show between 1995 and 1997. Afterward, he began working on an NBC pilot titled Meet the Muckles, a show that would be based on You Can't Take It With You. The project got stuck in development hell and was later dropped when Ruben's ideas grew too elaborate and expensive. Although Philip Rosenthal blamed NBC's negative response on Ruben's being on a blacklist. By 1999, he had given several interviews as himself and made public appearances while promoting the movie Mystery Men. Ah, that's classic. So good. Hell yes. Uh, He also starred in Dwight Yoakam's Western South of Heaven, West of Hell, playing a rapist and killer. Oh, dang. In 2001, he had his first extended television role since Playhouse as the host of the short-lived ABC show You Don't Know Jack. Based on the same, based on the game of the same name, it was canceled after six episodes due to low low ratings. Fun game though, I used to love that. Yes, Um, Rubens played a flamboyant hairdresser turned drug dealer in Ted Dem's 2001 drama Blow, which starred Penelope Cruz and Johnny Depp. Penelope, Penelope. His performance was praised, and he began receiving scripts for potential movie projects. He made cameos and guest appearances in numerous projects. He played Rick of the Citizens Patrol on the popular comedy series, no, popular Comedy Central series Reno 911, which gained him a small role in the 2007 film Reno 911 Miami. The same year he appeared in the second music video version of the Raconteur's song Steady As She Goes. Hmm. The video has the band engaging in a comical soapbox race a soapbox car race with Rubens playing the bad guy who sabotages the race. <laughs> in 2007, he attended his own tribute at the SF Sketch Fest, where he talked about his career with Ben Fong Torres. He also signed with NBC to make a pilot of a show called Area 57, a sitcom about a passive-aggressive alien, but it was not picked up. Uh-huh. I, I would have watched that. Rubens did, however, appear on the NBC hit series 30 Rock as the inbred Austrian prince. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present His Royal Highness, the Duke of Thuringia, Earl of the Duchy of Westphalia, Prince Gerhard Messerschmitt Rammstein von Hopp. Thank you. Thank you, all dear friends, for coming to my birthday! Wow, who's Snow White now? 7.45 and I'm still awake. (laughs) Which, holy shit. If you've not seen 30 Rock, dude. I haven't. Oh. Yeah? You owe it to yourself to fucking binge 30 Rock. Nice. Because that was like the weird... NBC at one point yeah. had a fucking everything. They had Parks and Rec. Yeah. They had third or 30 Rock. The Office. The Office and Community. Oh, yeah. Like, holy shit. Community and 30 Rock aren't, like, as praised as much as The Office and yeah. Parks and Rec, but goddamn. 
He also made three guest appearances on the FX series Dirt. Dirt! This time he was recommended for the role by Dirt star and close friend Courtney Cox. Cox's husband, David Arquette, would then cast Rubens for his directorial debut, the 2000 film, or 2007 film, The Tripper. Hmm. Rubens has also had small parts dubbing or making cameos in the Cartoon Network projects such as Reanimated in the animated cartoon series Chowder. Also, Tom goes to the mayor and Tim and Eric awesome show great job. Nice. Where he plays the moon. <laughs> Um, in 2008, Rubens was slated to appear as a homeopathic antidepressant salesman, Alfredo Aldericio, on the third episode of Pushing Daisies, but the role was cast with Raul, or Raul Esparza. Raul Esparza. Rubens instead appeared in the role of Oscar Vibinius in the, in the series' seventh and ninth episodes. Hmm. Also during 2008, he did a PSA for Unscrew America a website that aims to get people to change regular light bulbs for more energy-efficient ones. Uh, like, okay, I guess. I mean, funny name for him to be associated with. But. In 2009, he voiced Batmite in the Batman Brave and Bold episode Legends of the Dark Might. Eh. From 2012 to 2013, he contributed his voice talents to the animated series Tron Uprising. This Pavel. Oh, damn. In 2014, he appeared on the TV. He appeared on TV on the radio's music video for "Happy Idiot." In February 2015, Netflix acquired the rights to produce a new Pee Wee film entitled "Pee Wee's Big Holiday," with Judd Apatow and Rubens producing the film, Ooh. John Lee directing, and Rubens and Paul Rust writing the screenplay. The film released on March 18, 2016, on Netflix to positive reception. <laughs> Rubens is also reprising his role as RX-24 in Star Wars Galaxy Edge in oh, nice. Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios. Hell yeah. Which is the character he plays in Star Wars, or in Star Tours and in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. You know who I, you know who I wish was in Star Wars Rebels? Is it Facty? Oh, it's Facty. Five years before he wrote and directed Boys in the Hood, for which he earned two Oscar nominations, John Singleton was a, P- was a PA on the Playhouse set. No shit. Around the same time, White Zombie was formed. 17 years before his directorial debut of House of a Thousand Corpses, Ram Zombie also was a PA on PB's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> which, that just blows my mind. Yeah, it's something else. Wow, is that where Singleton got fucking Lawrence Fishburne? He's like, this guy. Yeah, he's like, oh. This fucking guy. This is Cowboy Curtis, the, huh? Cowboy Curtis is going to be the dad here. Hell yeah. Um, Paul Rubens mentioned in the commentary that during the scene in the movie where he's wheeled out of the bike shop on a gurney, Elizabeth Daly, who played Dottie, um, her face went completely white. And after filming the scene, he asked her what was wrong. Apparently, she was having flashbacks of her boyfriend, John Eric Huxham, being wheeled off of set on a gurney. He was accidentally shot whilst filming Cover Up in 1984. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Whew. Uh, the Large Marge sequence is based close to verbatim on the story in The Phantom 309 by country 
singer-songwriter Red Sovine. Hmm. Film creator Gene Siskel rated Big Adventure as one of the worst films of 1985. Well, he can suck it. He can suck it. In hell. For me, Pee-wee's juvenile humor, I guess, works better in seven-minute skits on The Letterman Show. That's the only conclusion I can draw from my negative response to the movie, that it just didn't make it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking asshole. You fucking asshole. The first season of Pee-wee's Playhouse, the Pee-wee's Playhouse gang were all fired from the show because of their disruptive behavior on set. Whoops. Do you know who was in that gang? Who's that? Natasha Leone. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I love her. Which, totally underrated. Which is just like... Think about all the fucking star power that came out of Seriously? Playhouse. Uh, Benicio Del Toro made his film debut in Big Top Pee-wee as Dogface Boy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh... The writers imagined a backstory to connect the film to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee-wee had become famous due to the Pee-wee's Big Adventure film starring James Brolin, James Brolin and Morgan Fairchild. And the loner daddy um, of Rebel. <laughs> which made Pee-wee have a lot of girls flock over him. But he became a, a Frank Sinatra-like singer. But Pee-wee had found fame far too much and decided to fly away and live a quiet, normal life as a farmer in an old folks community. Hmm. It's a good way it. to link him. Yeah. Uh, and him singing at the beginning of that movie, The Girl on the Flying Trapeze, was actually Paul Rubin singing. Oh, really? Yeah. The sweetest thing that's ever floating with the breeze And if you see her Tell her that I'm in love with her the girl on the flying Which is fucking wild. That is wild. And so, we come to the end of another wild ride here at the Toys R Us podcast. If you like what you heard and learned, you can consider doing the following. Find us on all social medias. We're at Toys R Us podcast across the board. You can leave us a five-star rating and review. That's the secret word. And we will scream very loud. Or you become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Toys R Us podcast. Until next time, remember, don't beat your meat in a theater seat. <laughs> and remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So thank you to Jeremy, Jessica, Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon and Steven. Thanks a bunch, guys.